Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast. Today I'm joined by two highly esteemed guests. The first is Bindi Currier, who joins us with an impressive career in the world of early stage and growth technology companies. Not only has Bindi worked with early stage firms themselves, but also run a number of innovation business units, including Microsoft Startup Business, which in itself included the Microsoft Accelerator and Microsoft Ventures, and then also at Silicon Valley Bank. Today, Bindi sits on a range of advisory boards and understands the world of venture funding and entrepreneurship like few other. And it is no surprise that the accolades come thick and fast. Bindi is regularly named Influential Women in Technology and on the FinTech lists, and the Institute of Directors noted her as one of the six most connected women, and she has been a finalist in the Asian Businesswoman of the Year Awards. Bindi, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Our second guest is Asif Sadiq, MBE. Asif is the Head of Diversity and Inclusion for EY, Ernst & Young, in their Financial Services UK business. Before joining in 2016, Asif was head of the Equality, Diversity and Human Rights Unit of the City of London Police. He was also former president of the National Association of Muslim Police. He too has earned many, many awards, notably for his work in the community, and twice Asif was a finalist of the Police Officer of the Year Award. And this year, Asif was awarded the MBE for services to policing and community in the Queen's Birthday Honours List. And he is also a Freeman of the City of London. Asif, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So we allow all our guests on the show, uh, out of consideration for the fact that you've given your time so generously to join us, uh, we, we allow all our guests 60 seconds to talk about your own initiatives, your own organisations, and then after that we open up the discussion. Um, Asif, let me start with you, uh, your 60 seconds to talk about life at EY. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So so I guess for, for me, the key thing is it's around the diversity inclusion piece at EY. Um, as you've mentioned kindly, I, I head up the DNI Department uh, for Financial Services. Um, I think it's important just to highlight uh, some of the work that EY is doing in this area. At EY, we've run a number of different programs uh, targeting all sorts of different elements of diversity and inclusion. Uh, but I think it's really important to mention the fact that for us, the key focus at the moment is around inclusion because we honestly believe that we've um, tackled diversity. We've understood that people are different. We now want to create a, a truly inclusive environment where everyone has a sense of belonging and can bring their true authentic self to work. And, and in large organisations, that, that's no mean challenge. I mean, that's no mean feat. So we'll definitely be exploring some of that. So thank you for that. Uh, Bindi, uh, you, uh, you are a very busy one. We're, we're lucky to, to get you. Uh, you're usually on a, on a plane. Uh, so, so tell us about what you're up to and why diversity and inclusion matters. So um, I guess after many years at Microsoft and Silicon Valley Bank, um, I left about two years ago to launch uh, my own boutique advisory firm. And um, just to give you a small pitch about my firm, it, I, I look at four pillars of innovation. So I look at um, corporate innovation teams. I look at uh, startups. I look at investors and I actually look at government and policy. And for me, it's about connecting between each of these four pillars to create commercial success. So if an innovation team is building an innovation program or a business unit, like I did in my former job, I'll help them with that. Startups, I'm joining advisory boards, investors, I send them good companies and good deal flow. So really helping um, make that connection. Government, I sit on two very interesting EU advisory boards. So the European Innovation Council. So despite Brexit, they do have two British people on there. 
um, because innovation is so important in this country, and the Startup Europe Advisory Board. For me, each of those pillars needs to work with the other to create commercial success. So early days, um, the fun throws of entrepreneurship, the ups and downs. But um, I think the one other thing I'll say, diversity is hugely important to me. I sat on the Microsoft UK Diversity and Inclusion Board for two years. It was sort of run by the UK MD and his executive team. So it's always been very important to me. Um, I put my money where my mouth is. So I'm actually sitting on the advisory boards of seven women-founded businesses and counting. Um, I firmly believe that we've got to help each other. And then finally, I'm starting to experiment a bit where I'm um, starting to work with high-growth tech startups, uh, which are female-founded. And we're, we're, we're doing an experiment where I'm calling myself a tiger advisor, a bit like a tiger mama, <laughs> where I'm helping these companies as they go uh, the path to Series A and their first financing. So sort of a really important coaching and mentoring role. So I, for me, it's just, it's part of who I am and part of mm. how I structure my business. And, and, I th and I think, you know, whether you're from a large organization uh, like, like Asif, and particularly with your sort of policing background as well, or, or in a smaller organization trying to interact with uh, those other pillars, if you like, whether that's policy, uh, funding, uh, and also corporates, is uh, it's all about success. It's all about commercial. What, what drives changes is commercial success. And I'm very interested, actually, from your perspective, Asif, to start with, um, from having come from the world of policing into the corporate world, is, is wh what's particularly impressed you and where do you think there are shortcomings? Um, yeah, so, so I think for me, one of the biggest things is, is the buy-in in the corporate world around diversity and inclusion. Uh, it, it, it's massive. And, and I think that's largely based on the fact that a lot of large organisations understand the commercial benefits of diversity and inclusion. Uh, whereas I think within policing, there was some barriers around understanding how that can be beneficial, although we all know that, you know, uh, the communities are very diverse and we need the police, police forces that reflect that. Um, however, it's very difficult to put money onto that or how much it's going to make for the police service. Uh, whereas in the corporate world, there, there's, there's a clear direction that actually we need to be diverse mm -hmm. because it will generate more income for us. And actually our clients want diversity. So, so it really, I think the buy-in is, is very impressive, seeing that, that people understand uh, the importance of it. Uh, and, and it's a genuine buy-in as well. So it's not just that it makes financial sense, but I think that's, that's a really, really, really good buy-in um, to, to get everyone on board. But then it's understanding and, and seeing how they're going to address the challenges, which I've seen um, is very, very positive. So people are willing to, to, to look at how and are willing to listen uh, which is which, which is uh, really encouraging, and, and there are sort of two parts of that. One, one is the kind of the, the corporate appreciation of the value, uh, but the other you, you mentioned about the clients are paying attention to this. And, and Bindi, when you work across those four pillars, um, there's always a push and there's a pull for change. So, so part of it is around organisations saying themselves we need to be more diverse. But is there a drive? You know, are you seeing the VC world saying absolutely? Please, yeah, I think. Um, uh, it, it's really interesting. I, I can call out the VCs. And what I'm seeing is you, you've clearly probably heard some of the scandals that have been happening in the VC community recently. And um, a lot of it has been around harassment from male partners to younger female founders. And what I'm seeing is a lot of VCs 
absolutely in the UK community and European community, setting up a code of conduct. Mm -hmm. And um, they've openly published it. And I'll be happily share some of those links with you oh, afterwards, yeah. Julia. And we'll put those on the website. Yeah, Forward Partners has actually published it. And what they're saying is, you know, we invest in diversity. Diversity is very much core part of it. I hear anecdotes of male VCs saying, actually, Bindi, 40% of our overall portfolio are female-founded businesses. We believe firmly in diversity. And actually, recruitment now, it's really interesting where um, a lot of the VCs that are recruiting younger associates and, you know, Paduans, as they say, mm -hmm. um, they're saying we need females. We need more women. So there's a really proactive approach to... VCs recruiting inwards and investing in. And I'm seeing that more and more and more, particularly in the last year. So this scandal in a way has made the industry step up and create a code of conduct. And more and more in Silicon Valley, that's happening and absolutely in London. And I'll share some of the open blogs with you that I've seen around that. But it, it's happening. And ditto, more and more women are founding businesses um, just because there's more of a, you know, and there are all women uh, type of angel groups such as Angel Academy or you look at Albright, which is, um, you know, I, I guess a scheme where they invest in women and mentor women and focus on women-founded businesses. And so I'm seeing that as a trend as well. And one of the uh, one of the previous shows on the podcast, we were talking about this, and, and there's there's a there's a interesting dynamic, which is: Are you seeing the talents come through the pipeline? Are you seeing that actually in this appetite for change, that actually the, the talent is coming through? And and as if from your perspective of you know working with some of the the younger employees coming through, could you sh shed some light on uh, how raising the game generally on on talent uh, is is a priority or not? Sure, no, no, definitely. So I think just just one one last thing on 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 the sort of diversity and, and the importance. It. it when I, when I talked about the commercial business sense, one of the key things as well is it's the different ideas, you know, and that's that's one of the big buy-ins that, you know, if we have teams which all look the same, mm -hmm. you know, are, are the same gender, same age bracket, we're not going to have innovative ideas and that's going to hold us back as a business. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, really important in the sort of commercial side side, side of what we do around D&I. Um, with talent, we're seeing that diversity coming in, you know, uh, within a lot of companies, they're recruiting a lot of diversity, we're rec recruiting... <laughs> different generations, you know, people who want to work differently as well, which is a really interesting, interesting piece. So, so when you look at flexible working, mm -hmm. we're getting these um, younger people joining who don't want to work the traditional nine to five Monday to Friday. Um, and, and it's about how do we create an environment where they can work the hours they want to work, mm -hmm. but still, you know, we can measure them on output. And that's, that's a really interesting thing because someone like myself, who's probably of, a, of an older generation, I'm still used to the nine to five, but it's about challenging ourselves to allow People who are coming in who want to think differently, work differently, are given that opportunity. So, so the talent's coming in, which is great, and it's going into a lot of organizations. But I think the key thing now is how do we ensure that talent stays, thrives in that business environment, and progresses? And that's around challenging ourselves as organizations to create an environment that they can be themselves. And that, that goes not just from like what I mentioned around flexible working, but it's about ways of working as well. So it's, it's, it's things like how do they approach um, emails, you know, which is a very basic thing. But usually when you go into an organization, there's a structure around emails. Is that really right? If our clients are changing, our, our employees are changing, we should allow people to be themselves. Of course, there's certain skill sets 
which people will require. Mm-hmm. And those can't be taken away. That's what gives us that, you know, edge. And, and I'm, I'm going to push back slightly because that's all good on paper. We hear a lot of people sort of talking about the kind of need for flexible working, the, the, the appetite of millennial talents to come through and, and younger talents to come, come through, uh, returners to work needing more flexible schemes, etc. But for, for an organisation to actually change its practices requires uh, inspiration from the top. But there's a middle management layer of people who go, I've been in this business for 20 odd years. You know, it's my job to deliver performance and, and I need to have my team present around me because that's the way I've always worked. Well, how are you helping that middle management think differently? So, so that's really interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll give you um, just one example around flexible working. So one of the things I believe is really important is to encourage men to, to work flexibly, mm-hmm. to create that culture that everyone can take take on board and work flexibly. Because otherwise, as you rightly said, the problem is that it's it's great on paper, mm-hmm. but then people come in and they find the environment is of such that they'll be different if they if they work flexibly or, you know, um, uh, want to work different hours. But if we encourage the majority and the middle management to understand the benefits of this, then we'll see that change. And and, and the other side is... And, and how, but how do, how do you do that? Do you say to everybody, nobody's coming into the, into the office this this Thursday and Friday, you've all got to work remotely, and and you'll see how effective you can be. I mean, what 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 drives that change? So, so for us, you know, we need people to work flexibly. Firstly, because of uh, how many we we have a hot desk policy, right? So we need people. We don't have that many desks for everyone to turn up into into the office. Um, secondly, it's as you know that we work with a lot of clients, but it's ensuring that even when people are working with clients, that our clients understand that we work flexibly. And it's it's having those discussions from the beginning all the way to the end. Now, from my experience, it works quite well, you know, as long as we ensure within the organization that we have that culture going through. So we we have we make sure our senior partners work flexibly. Mm-hmm. We make sure, you know, our leadership team works flexibly. And then it's then it's comfortable for everyone to ask for that flexible working. Now, that can vary from organization to organization and and. I guess my experiences have been the ones that I've seen. My previous organization where I worked, flexible working was introduced, but it was a real barrier. I would say I would counter a lot of that. That's great. That's idealistic. I totally agree with you. But in financial services organizations, I think we have a long way to go. I think FaceTime is really important. I think hours are still really important. Um, I think mothers who step out on mat leave find it very hard to come back because um, quite often their job, which is legally supposed to be on hold for them, they come back to find it's a very different job. And um, I think there's a long way to go. And and uh, financial services, I would call out. I don't have the right stats, but I'm just hearing this anecdotally from a lot of returning mothers. Um, interestingly enough, in early October, I was watching BBC News uh, in the morning, Victoria Derbyshire show, And there is a whole segment on women returning to work. And I can't quote the exact statistics. I'm sure Julia will pick them up uh, Mm -hmm. from the the iPlayer recording. But it's saying that actually the number of working women returning to work is decreasing in the last year. Or sorry, yeah, it's absolutely decreasing. And SMBs are struggling because of the costs associated with keeping those jobs open. And when you have 6, 8, 10, 12 people in the business, every single role counts. So I think there's still a long way to go. I'm not trying to be negative. Mm-hmm. What I am saying is there's an idealism and absolutely it has to come from the top, but I do believe there's a way to go. And are you seeing some examples of, of good practice that, that's, 
because we're, we're, the great thing about innovation and early stage businesses is yeah. they can immediately think differently. Well, I can call out a couple of great examples of good practice. Um, I've got a friend who's an MD at Accenture and he took six months paternity leave because he knew his wife really wanted to get back in. So they split the 12 months um um, paternal and maternal leave, six months him, six months her. And Accenture was super open to it, and he came back. Uh, and that for me was really interesting, that they're splitting it between the male and female. Mm-hmm. When I was at Microsoft, um, there was a lot of interesting job shares going on where mothers who were coming back to work were doing two and a half days per week each in a job share. So it was involved a lot of coordination, but they're actually sharing one job 50-50. And they were managing teams. So it was difficult, but um, the team at Microsoft was very, very open to that. So from a corporate perspective, absolutely, uh, I'm seeing that. And I think a lot of that's reflecting around a lot of corporates um, where where that's there. Um, I mean, interesting, you talked about the shared parental leave. Um, I think it's really important that, you know, that it's seen more men are seen to to be taking shared parental leave, but it's how does the organization actually encourage that? So interestingly, um, I've, I've got a baby on the way and, and I put in for paternity leave because you have to put that in. And the next email I got back was saying, have you considered shared parental leave and all the benefits of it? And I thought that was really positive that's right. that yes, that's being encouraged yeah. as yes. a, so I've only put in for the basic, but you've encouraged me then to look at this. And I'm actually now taking shared parental leave um, as well. And and it's interesting because, and why I say it's interesting, it's, it's because the more men that take it, the more we can make that normal. normal. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then so everyone feels comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then it's not felt that you you have, you can't take this and it's going to impact your career. And, and interestingly, even with your example, uh, I've seen um, one of the partners that we have, he's taken shared parental leave as well. But it's encouraging because then everyone else, other men can feel comfortable taking it. But then even even women within the organization can, can and feel that actually, you know, I can take uh, maternity leave and come back. It's not going to have an impact on my career. But it's that cultural change that needs to be seen. So I totally agree that there's a long way to go, but it's it's that culture, the day-to-day behaviors and ensuring that's embedded into what we do on a daily basis. Well, we're talking about it now, and I think that's a start. And these kind of podcasts, I'm not sure they would have existed five years ago. So it's great that we have it out in the open. The other comment I'd make is, we, we're talking about diversity as gender, but let's not forget age, LGBT, mm-hmm. disability, race. There's so much to diversity and we can't forget that because mm-hmm. I think age discrimination is there and it's out there. Now, our next uh, podcast is going to be looking at LGBT and then after that, we're going to be looking at age as well, which is important. There, there are sort of few things that sort of bubble up from from that conversation for me. One of them is is culture. You were talking about the culture of the organisation. And, I, and, and I, I spend a lot of time with early stage businesses thinking or talking talking to entrepreneurs about think about this stuff really early what kind of culture do you want to have uh, as you grow because that that's that, that that's a really important dynamic to success and then the other actually is around role modeling which is as you say if you can encourage more men to to take um, potential but I, and, and I hear a lot of people talk about the value of strong role modeling um but does that not just uh, it does not run a risk of uh, showcasing a small segment of an organisation as the heroes of the company, the role models to pursue, when on the other end of the spectrum it should be right across the organisation? It has to come from the top. In my view, you've got to set the example from the top. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a five-person business or you're the CEO of a hundred and fifty thousand-person business. It has to come from the top. I think so. So for me, um, I'm not sure about role models. 
Um, I think we need real models. Uh, and more than that, we actually need to create a space where, um, you know, employees can feel they can fit in regardless of, of, of whatever they, they bring and whatever's important to them. And what I mean by that is... Could we just go back to the, the real model versus the role model? What do, how do you just describe that difference? So, so for me, a real model is someone who I can align myself to. It doesn't have to be someone who looks like me or who has the same background as me, because I think that's dangerous. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is that, you know, just because someone has a, has the same sort of diversity characteristic as me, doesn't mean we think the same, mm -hmm. doesn't mean we have the same ambitions, doesn't mean we're going to have the same career journey. But what, what's really important is having real models who I can align myself to, who I feel comfortable with. Um, and I think that that's the important thing, because I found, unfortunately, in the past where people will look at someone who looks like you and say, oh, that's a great role model for you. Because he's of the same ethnic background, he's so of the... It's so cliche, isn't it? It's ridiculous. It is. Yeah, it should be about skill sets and growing in your career. And it doesn't matter who that role model is. And it could that role model could be a middle-aged white man for me. You know, we could have the same things that I, I align to, which I feel strongly about. Some of my role models have been middle-aged white men. But, but, but it's that risk of when, when people align someone who looks like you as being your role model, I think is, is, is one of the... Well, I'm going to call out something slightly controversial here, but here we go. This is the quote of the day, right? Sisterhood is not a zero-sum game. And what I mean by that is I find quite often when women get to the top of an organization, they pull the ladder up and they do not help other women. And it's partially because they had such a battle themselves to get there they're like, I'm exhausted. I don't want to help anyone else. And so I'm pulling the ladder up. And I think that's interesting, even from, from a sort of ethnicity perspective. And I think I've, I've seen that myself. So I've witnessed that where, yeah. And, and, and especially the, the whole sort of, you know, when, when, when certain, and I'm not saying everyone, but certain BAME, BME individuals reach the top, um, you find they pull the ladder up or it's more, more difficult to, I've, I've sat in boards where there's someone who looks like me who's made it really challenging for me because the, the feeling is that, well, I've gone through this really difficult journey. So, so you show, yeah, exactly, exactly. So that that that's dangerous in itself. But that's why I keep saying it's not a zero-sum game. There's lots of room for lots of us yeah. everywhere up top. Just on that point, um, and it's about being yourself. So these people who have made it there, they should be, they should display the skill sets of being individuals and being themselves. Because if they program themselves to be like everyone else who's up there, then it doesn't really create that environment where I think, well, actually, I can, I can be there as well. Because it's not the true diversity. For diversity to flourish, you need people who are their authentic selves. Well, th it's interesting because um, I, I was reading over the weekend Satya Nadella from Microsoft. I can't get the exact quote, so Julie, you'll have to look it up. But it was something about raining the rose petals from the leadership to the middle management and the people below. Because um, historically, Microsoft had a dog-eat-dog -dog culture, and Satya's done a great job trying to transform it. Um, I left before he joined as CEO, but it was a really incredible quote where he's trying to perpetuate that this competition thing doesn't make sense. And the rose petals need to be shared amongst everyone equally. It's a perfect moment to take a pause, though, because as you know, in the show, we like to look at externally to industry and insights. So at this point, I'm going to turn over to Robert Pinto Fernandez and Cynthia Akinsanya with some research that they found. Earlier this year, the website workingmums.com carried out research of more than 2,000 working mothers 
over 40% of respondents said that they would not take shared parental leave because it made no financial sense for their families. The study also suggested nearly half of those responded thought flexible working had a negative impact on their ability to progress in their career. The Working Mums survey also reported many women in senior roles had to take pay cuts to achieve flexible working arrangements. Whilst 27% of working mothers are now earning more than they did before they had children, 44% of respondents said that they now earn less. The issue of sexual harassment has received a lot of media attention in recent months, particularly in the film industry and politics. But what about financial services? Financial News recently carried out a survey of 180 staff working in the city. They found that nearly three quarters of women had endured inappropriate behaviour in the office, with a large number saying they felt that they had to leave their company as a result. The proportion was even higher for women working in investment, banking and trading. It's definitely time to call out those who do not call out sexual harassment. Uh, Cynthia and Robert, thank you very much for that. So looking ahead. Where do you see the future challenges? So I think one of the uh, one of the challenges which keeps on emerging, uh, and there's a number of articles on this uh, around what's the, what's the next big challenge for DNI. I think it is around faith and belief. Um, you know, just looking at the world around us, the way things are changing. Uh, I, I think we we really need to start looking from a diversity perspective, um, at faith inclusion and the workplace as well. And, and what I mean by this is it's not your traditional, you know. Are we going to have dietary requirements covered and are we going to have, you know, chaplains and prayer rooms? I think we've done that and a lot of organisations have. What we really need to start focusing on is treating people as individuals and looking at their needs as we do with anything else or any other um, characteristic that an individual might have. But we have to acknowledge that, um, you know, inclusion and, and faith inclusion is becoming an important uh, piece, piece of work. Uh, and how do we start treating people as individuals? Because again, we run the risk um, that you know people are grouped into uh, into various different groups because they represent a faith or 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 or, or, a, um, or, or a group, uh, and we just need to move away from that because if we're going to be truly inclusive, we need to start treating individuals uh, for what they are, and even their faith is very individual. Faith is an individual thing to every single person. So how can we assume that a person of a certain faith must? This must be their needs. And, and in this appetite for authenticity, that's uh, that's a, a singularly most important thing. And, and Bindi, from your perspective, let's bring it back to the world of financial services and, and fintech, if you like. Where do you see the biggest challenges? Um, I still think we need to get more women. Uh, I, th I think we're getting there. I think organisations such as Innovate Finance, you know, have a great diversity focus. Um, I'm an ambassador for Innovate Finance, which is the um, UK FinTech Association. And I know uh, one of the tech journalists put a note out the other day or a tweet out the other day going, how many female founders of FinTechs are there? And I think they came back with a number as low as 21 out of their 300 plus members were founders or co-founders of FinTech companies. So I think we have a way to go before we continue to get more females founding businesses. And then, you know, obviously anecdotally, hearing from women still working in the city, there continue to be challenges. It's better, but it's still a challenge, mm -hmm. particularly around the maternity leave uh, situation when FaceTime absolutely counts and working the long hours 
still absolutely counts towards success. Mm -hmm. So we got a way to go. Well, we're certainly going to be keeping a keen lookout for any articles that we see in the industry to support some of these arguments, any evidence of change that come through. Uh, and uh, we'd love to have you back on again just in, in time to see if the world has shifted. You're both incredibly busy people. I'm immensely grateful for you spending the time. Asif, Bindi, thank you very much. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsanya and Robert Pinto Fernandez for their insights. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com, and that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. To be sure of catching all our future podcasts, Subscribe to our feed in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. We're now officially partnered with Stitcher, so if that's where you get your podcasts, you can subscribe to us there too. If you've enjoyed this episode of Diversity Podcast, remember to give us a rating or review in iTunes. It really helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.